Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark LaLiberty, and joining me today is... Corey Booster Beaten Knockreiner. <laughs> Still feeling the effects, I see. Yeah, if I sound a little weird, uh, I'm happy I have the booster, but uh, it can make you sick for a bit. Yep. Or feel sick. Anyways, on today's episode, Corey's actually graciously taking some time out of his vacation to hop on the podcast and chat about a pretty serious vulnerability... Uh, that has recently been discovered across the industry as one of the most critical flaws, I believe, of the year. Um, so on this episode, we're going to dedicate the entirety of the episode to discussing Log4Shell, which is the fancy name given to Log4J2's most recent vulnerability, uh, what it is, how it works, how it came about, and what you can do to protect yourself and your business from attempted exploits of this attack. So with that, let's go ahead and... Uh, log our way in. Little hint, if a vulnerability name ever has shell in it, it's probably not good. Probably not great. So let's go ahead and get started on our main and really only topic for today, because it is such a massive vulnerability. Um, and if you haven't already guessed, although I'm actually, we record the intros after we do this, and I'm willing to bet during the intro we'll talk about what we're talking about. So anyways, uh, as you know, we are going to be chatting about Log4Shell, which is the fancy marketing name given to this Log4J2 vulnerability. Um, pretty dang big by now. Like we've already gotten almost two dozen questions from a lot of you that are listening in on various ins and outs of this flaw and protections for it. Made huge industry news with basically everyone saying this is the the biggest flaw of the year and of quite recently, uh, vulnerability wise. And really, it makes sense. This is about as bad as it gets when it gets for a vulnerability. Like the ease of exploitation, as you'll see in this, is at full like ten out of ten, easy to exploit, massively damaging full remote code execution on vulnerable apps. Like it's pretty nuts, and it's a widely used library used by a lot of different Java-based applications. And by the way, should we know, you might say this later, but don't just think applications. Remember that hardware and products and the cloud run applications too. So it, it could be found in more than just software that you're used to running as a server. Yeah. So you've probably read a bit about Log4J2 and the vulnerability, but we figured we'd devote some time to go over what exactly the flaw is, how it came about, uh, and the damages as well as some mitigations that you can use uh, to try and both either patch the flaw or defend against it on unpatched applications. Now, I guess we should really start at the top about just what is Log4J, or in this case, Log4J 2.0, which is shortened to Log4J 2, um, and what is it used for in applications? And what it boils down to is Anytime a developer makes some sort of app or like Corey mentioned, hardware that has apps running on it, logging is a very important part of that development process. Uh, you want to make sure that if there's an error, you have a record of that error. Depending on the application, you might want records of how users interact with it. So what are they clicking around with? What browser are they using? What IP address are they coming from if it's a web application? All these are different values that you will ultimately use a logging library to save to a file, send off to a syslog server, or store through some other means so that sometime after the fact, you can come back and review it and see, yeah, how are the users using it? Or, 
oh, how did that break? Well, good thing I've got a log message that's got the exact crash written out into it. Now, a logging library in its most simple level would just take these string values, so like the IP address of a user, the user agent header of a web request, and just save them into a log file that you could review later. But these days, these logging libraries like Log4j are actually really complex. Like some of them have functionality to send an email with the log message in certain situations. Um, some of them have different features to help enrich the logs along the way. And one of those features and the one that this vulnerability uh, came about in is this feature called a lookup, which on its simplest level, it's basically a specialized string value, a way to write something in a message that tells Log4j to dynamically retrieve information from either its configuration or the environment, or as you'll see from a remote source potentially, and add those retrieved values to a log message. Um, these lookups are pretty common across all sorts of different applications. They're not just in logging libraries, they're all over the place. Um, but in the case of Log4j, for example, they're triggered with this special sequence. You'll see it in a lot of the examples out there if you've been reading news articles. It's the dollar sign followed by a squiggly bracket with the actual lookup inside of it closed out with another squiggly bracket. Basically, anytime Log4j sees that within a string, it does what's called interpolation and basically grabs that and attempts to resolve what's ever inside those little squiggly brackets into a value. Um, so some examples of that, like it might be useful for a developer to dynamically add in what version of Java is running or the operating system that it's running on. So as they're reviewing logs after the fact, they know what operating system and Java version were there. So in log4j, you'd use dollar sign squiggly bracket Java colon version end squiggly bracket in order to uh, get the JDK version or Java colon OS in order to get the operating system that Java is running on. And these are all pretty useful. Like it, you can see how instead of having to hard code it and update it every time, every time you update your app, you can just have it dynamically pull these variables from the operating system in the environment. Um, it's also, I mentioned it's called string interpolation, which basically is where it evaluates the string uh, containing placeholders and it tries to return results for those placeholders. And interpolation is a pretty big issue across all different types of applications. It happens in a lot of places and it tends to open a lot of security holes if it's not done 100% correctly. Um, so before this vulnerability, uh, lookups were kind of already a concern in Log4j uh, that by nature, you know, you're potentially handling strings that are provided by an adversary. And to give you an example of even outside this vulnerability, why that could be a problem is for example, it's really common for web applications to log information like the user agent header in an HTTP request uh, to try and keep track of what browser the visitor is using. And while browsers normally take care of setting that header to, let's say, like Firefox version 49.2 build whatever, an attacker can really set that to whatever the heck they want. And so, for example, they could set it to a lookup string to start logging environment variables to the log file. So as an example, let's say the developer has a secret key, like an API key that's set somewhere in an environment uh, variable for the application. Uh, let's say the variable is called secret underscore key. If the attacker set their user agent header to dollar sign, curly bracket, 
env so environment colon secret key uh, then when that app receives that request it'll attempt to look that up it'll retrieve the key value and then save that in the log message instead and you can see how that on its own could potentially be a security risk like if you've got any kinds of secrets saved in the environment or anything that you don't want written out to storage that's a problem Unfortunately, it gets even worse with what's called remote lookups, and that's where this vulnerability comes in. So around eight years ago, actually significantly before then, Log4j added support for remote lookups using this feature called JNDI, which is the Java Naming Directory Interface, uh, which basically lets it use a local or remote server from outside your network to perform these lookups for this interpolation. Um, there's some a simple example is kind of comparing it to DNS. So like domain name systems, when you do a DNS lookup, you're taking a domain name and retrieving the IP address value for it for a remote server. Well, JNDI lets you take a Java application and retrieve a remote object in this case, uh, which J log4j will then interpolate and ultimately execute. Uh, the part of this was added back eight years ago or so with a feature request saying, hey, it would be useful to be able to do these lookups using LDAP. So they added it without realizing the potential security implications for that. By the way, just to pause here, because you say eight years ago, really quickly at the beginning, you mentioned this is log4j 2.0 or just to the shorthand version. There is a one. And is this vulnerability? I, I know the answer. I'm staging it for you. Is, is one vulnerable to this or was maybe uh, only log4j2 is vulnerable yeah. so the log4j1 it's out of date has it's been end of life since i think 2015 or so um it's got its own potential issues as well but it's not vulnerable to this specific vulnerability good, good to know thank you yep uh so the most common and trivial attack vector for this new vulnerability this log for shell uses ldap or rmi which is remote method invocations to uh, lookups within that JDNI interface. And it gets a little technical, but it basically boils down to an attacker can host a malicious Java class. So a class being like a bunch of code on an LDAP server under their control. Uh, they then abuse a vulnerable application that logs something. So the most common example we see is like the user agent header in a web request. And they set that message to be a lookup to their LDAP server. So for example, they would set their user agent to uh, dollar sign, curly bracket, JNDI, colon, LDAP, colon, the address of their server, and then a file on that server. Which they're always named attacker.com because the attackers don't really yeah. need to hide their domains. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the reason you see every news article listing this as attacker.com is because that's the only way to deliver it, <laughs> believe it or not. Sarcasm, by the way. I'm sure you guys figured that Sarcasm. Out. So log4j, the library, will take this and it'll attempt to do a lookup uh, using JNDI and it'll query that LDAP server and grab whatever Java object is stored at that server and then it evaluates it. So evaluate in this sense means executing it. It's basically, it boils down to if an attacker can have control over something that is logged by a vulnerable application and that application can make a web request out to somewhere under the attacker's control. They can load up any Java code that they want and execute it within that application. And the barrier for entry to this, that whole they have to control a string that gets logged, is so low 
that this is why it was classified as basically a full 10.0 out of 10.0 on the CVSS, the vulnerability scoring system. Uh, because that's exactly what these libraries are designed to do. They're designed to take potentially user input along with a whole bunch of other things and log it. Uh, user agents, uh, the first one that we started seeing in our own HoneyNet really taking off last Friday, uh, we saw attackers attempting to exploit it in the request path. So like victim.com slash inject it in there. See them try and inject it in different cookie parameters as well. Like all the different things that a application might try and log are all different attack vectors for this exploit. Um, and basically it boils down to if your application's running a vulnerable version of the library, that's basically game over. Uh, the good news is, so there actually were some mitigating factors in all of this. Um, just running the vulnerable version isn't necessarily enough. It does basically make it pretty close to being enough to exploit it. Uh, but depending on the JDK version, so the actual Java virtual machine that you're running, uh, it could potentially mitigate, mitigate some attack methods. Uh, if you're using 6 update 11 or higher, 7 update 201 or higher, 8 update 191 or higher, or 11.0.1 or higher, they actually have those LDAP lookups disabled by default. Uh, there's a flag in there that says trust URL code base that by default is set to false. Unfortunately, within like two days of all this, uh, researchers, actually not even two days, within like 12 hours of all this, researchers found that you could bypass that mitigation just by serializing the whole payload instead of just the J JNDI lookup. So basically the whole payload is a class that uh, Log4j will deserialize, so turn from bytecode into something else, and then evaluate it and execute it. And inside there is the actual JNDI lookup to the attacker's server. So long story short, on Friday, I guess two Fridays ago by now. But by, by, by the way, I, I, I think to, to just translate that to English, even though some JDK versions were were the ones that were most affected at first i do you agree that that shouldn't be a big mitigating factor anymore right i mean i guess it is no longer a mitigating yeah, yeah. factor that's at all. essentially it what you was saying. for the first yeah. 12 hours when everyone was just trying but, but to it's only a mitigating factor the because they one. didn't know the other way the other way existed exactly so i it, do not despite all the early articles even us at first talking about this mitigation it's not a mitigation anymore is what we're both getting at Hundred um, percent. Now, other mitigating factors, by the way. Uh, so this is every single version of Log4j two uh, up to two point fourteen were technically vulnerable to varying degrees. Uh, if you were running two point ten to two fourteen, there's actually a flag to disable these lookups. And if you had set that at application execution time, then you were safe. Two point fifteen's resolution is actually just setting that by default now but you can still, I guess, explicitly disable it if you really want to make your application vulnerable to all this. <laughs> um, and there has actually since been 2.16 yes. because there was a flaw discovered in 2.15 that was significantly less secure, but still an issue in not, some Not less secure, le less impact, less severe. Uh, just so you know, Mark mentioned uh, this the, log, the first vulnerability, full 10. The second one is like 3.7, I think, on CVSS. Yeah, it requires a pretty non-standard default uh, non-default setup, and also it is only just for denial of service in that case. I, I would say you should get 12.16, though. I, at this point, just up, if you haven't updated yet, just go to 12.16. I don't see any downside. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess real quick, like on the WatchGuard response side of things, since we do get a lot of our customers and partners listening, uh, we, as soon as like the news of this broke, we were on top of it and digging through all of our code, all of our systems and services to see where we might be running this. And like for the most part, we're good. Uh, like when it comes to the Firebox itself, WatchGuard System Manager, Dimension, they just, they're not vulnerable. They're not using a vulnerable version of Log4j or not using Java at all. We did find a few individual components within WatchGuard Cloud that were using a vulnerable version of uh, Log4j2, uh, but we updated it right yeah, away. Yeah, they were updated specifically just so you know, AuthPoint, TDR, and uh, Cloud Wi-Fi. But again, all were up updated. And, and I think at the time, Mark, uh, well, at first we assumed the JDK part. I, I do think we had pretty good confidence that it wasn't easily exploitable then, but it doesn't matter. We fixed it out of an abundance of caution. Yep, and we did throughout this process as well, uh, comb through our logs to look for any evidence of a successful attack. And I'll say we saw plenty of evidence of people probing for it. Uh, we were pointing out some of the interesting ways that they were attempting to exploit it, but we so far have seen no evidence of any successful attack at all. Um, which is good, and it definitely made Corey and I sleep a little easier uh, that last Friday. Um, so, I mean, part of this whole podcast the, the only The actually... only one you forgot was AD360, and I would add WatchGuard right. EPDR, so if you use our endpoint products, not, not vulnerable either. So long story yep. short, the only few components were in the cloud. They were very temporarily affected by it, and we fixed them immediately, and right now everything is safe, or appears to be yep. safe. <laughs> So part of the reason why we wanted to have this podcast focused on Log4j2 is because understandably there are a lot of questions floating around out there about, you know, how do I detect and block it? What about applications that aren't getting updates? Uh, I mentioned we've got probably close to two dozen questions or so that we're going to spend some time now and actually go through and try and answer to the best of our abilities. And first one, Corey, I've been talking for the last 17 minutes straight, so I'll let you go ahead and take this one. The question was, we've got a few kind of revolving around this, is like four WatchGuard customers that have our intrusion prevention service, uh, does it detect and block the attack? And the answer to that is yes, we do have signatures in the latest version. So if you make sure your Firebox IPS signatures are up to date, I think it's something like four different signatures we have. One big caveat you've heard us talk about nowadays, most of the web is secure encrypted. It uses HTTPS. And you've heard us say that if you're not doing HTTPS inspection, you're missing stuff. There's probably a high likelihood if someone's exploiting this in a, a web app that's publicly exposed that your web app is probably HTTPS. So in order for these signatures to work, you uh, at least over a HTTP connection to your web app, you definitely need to have a HTTPS inspection enabled. Uh, so from a pure network level, we can detect it. By the way, eventually the attack hits a server. Let's say it got past IPS. Uh, our endpoint products, you know, AD360, WatchGuard EPDR, besides having local signatures for things, they also have contextual rules. In theory, those engines can probably detect payloads, additional things that they, they wouldn't stop the vulnerability from being exploited, but they might catch the, the things that a bad guy would do with it. Uh, but either way, as long as you have our IPS and you you set up our HTTPS and inspection engine properly, you should be good. Right, at least we can detect the exploits that we have signatures for. This is one of those where, like at a network level, it's good. In fact, I, when I looked into our signatures, we are just basically blocking JNDI lookups um, in any web request or any network request 
uh, for those signatures, which does potentially have collateral damage, but I'd argue that at this point, those types of lookups should no longer be considered safe. This is a type of threat, though, that is really difficult to detect and block without some collateral damage of quote-unquote legitimate use. Um, I'd argue that, I mean, I just did, a lot of this legitimate use should go away, but, you know, Java's been around for quite some time. This has been a feature for eight years within uh, Log4j2, and so even though it is now considered, or even light has been shed on how vulnerable it is, it's going to take some time for some developers to clean up their applications. Um, so next question we got was, how can WatchGuard help us detect if our systems are vulnerable? Uh, Corey, you want to take that one? Sure. I, I think one of the best ways is our endpoint products can run on servers. You know, they're designed, WatchGuard EPDR, to actually be run on a server too, including web servers. Uh, and if you have AD360 and you have our patch management module, it should be able to find if that patch, if it needs to get the update, it should detect the versions Mark was talking about, 2.1, was it 2.10 through 2.14, I think. So that will help. One thing I do want to pimp too is uh, there's a GitHub. If you search for, uh, I think it's the NCS, uh, the NCSC slash Netherlands, NL Netherlands has a GitHub on Logforce shell. And it literally is a great master list of, of affected, an overview of software that might be affected. So it's actually, because it's a scrolling website, I can't tell you pages, but you scroll halfway down, you're only to see. So it has a huge list of, of, of products, whether they be software products, hardware products, et cetera, that are vulnerable. So if you don't have our patch management module or any other vulnerability scanning tools, uh, you should definitely check that out. And I, if you do searches, you'll find people that also have GitHub. They have network scanners. Uh, those might be hit or miss. They might not detect it in all cases, but they are certainly helpful. Um, so next question was, we had a few revolving around uh, if we could help provide some indicators of compromise um, so that you know what to look for in your logs or on your endpoint protection for a potential attack. Um, with the show notes for this episode on secplicity.org, uh, we will link to a GitHub page on the WatchGuard Threat Lab GitHub uh, that has a whole bunch of IOCs that we've been able to gather from our HoneyNet and other sources as well. Uh, we've had, I think, a, around 300 or so different um, at least attempts, not necessarily unique sources of exploit, but it, quite a few different attempts across our HoneyNet so far that we maintain from folks trying to exploit this. So quite a few IP addresses you can throw in uh, to whatever your block lists are. Um, next question was, uh, are Fireboxes affected? How about older XTM? So we mentioned that you know the Firebox doesn't run Java on it, and that does extend to older XTM appliances as well. Good news there is that it is just straight up not vulnerable, not affected. Um, let's see, next question was, what systems uh, need to be patched? And can WatchGuard help us uh, give us a list of those was one of the questions. And yeah, I, and I, I semi-answered <laughs> this. The, the, uh, we yeah. won't have a list. As I mentioned, our patch mat module might be able to help if you're running it on the server that's affected, but we won't have a list of software because it's huge. This is the reason this is an industry scale event is log4j is used everywhere. I mean, not literally, but you know, it's very widely used. Basically, if you've got a Java application, you're probably using log4j yeah. for log. And, and what we can do is the GitHub I'm talking about, we can probably also put in the show notes. 
And it, it to me is one of the best sources that has a, a very extensive list in its readme file of, of the folks or not the folks, the, the products that, that, you know, whether or not they're affected or not. So it's a big list. Some are not vulnerable, some are vulnerable, some are in investigation state, but it's the master list I've been using. Uh, next one we got was how can I leverage Firebox subscription services? So we mentioned IPS is best positioned to block this particular threat. There's a chance that like the anti-malware services can catch those secondary payloads uh, after exploitation as it attempts to go and grab, you know, whatever crypto miner or ransomware or mode access Trojan is trying to get. But really, this is one where you want to try and block the exploit, and that's where IPS is going to help. It's designed to block these network-delivered exploits to vulnerable systems. Um, we had one person ask, like, if you've got Dimension or any of our other visibility tools, uh, is there like a filter you can use to look for your logs? Um, I'd say that, I mean, for the most part, it's going to be kind of difficult and dependent on your log level for your services on your Firebox, for example. At a minimum, you can search for hits for those IPS signatures. Um, we'll put them in the show notes as well. Um, but uh, the signature numbers, if you want them, are 1230268, 1230269, 1230270, 1230271, and 1230275. You can search for those uh, to see if you get any hits there. Depending on what level of logging you have for your proxies, uh, you could potentially search for that JNDI string and any like the URL paths. I don't think the proxies by default will log headers. Uh, I know they do if you crank up the logging past the recommended levels. Um, but for the most part, like it's it's going to be kind of difficult to see this just because of the multitude of different ways that an attacker could potentially exploit this flaw on a web application. Like the number of things that web apps typically log is just about everything. And so any single parameter they can send to it is a potential attack avenue for it. Uh, there was a request for a website or a tool that can scan uh, IPs or host names for the vulnerability. This is another one. Uh, we'll add it in the show notes. I found a, I found a really cool uh, Python-based one that they've got instructions for Windows, macOS, and Linux as the host to kind of run it off of. It includes a little web server uh, where basically it simulates an exploit, and if that web server gets a ping, it'll let you know which IP address on your network is vulnerable to that, so you can go uh, investigate. Uh, pretty cool tool. I'll add that to the show notes as well. Um, next one was, so how do we protect third-party applications? Uh, Corey, you want to take that uh, yeah, one? Of course. As we said before, if you put our Firebox in front of it on the perimeter, you can add IPS. That said, egress filter. Uh, to remember, Mark said that the attacker in some cases has to host this LDAP server that that you log4j will be reaching out to if you restrict certain outbound access that your application does not need you you may be able to stop that from happening yeah. and i mean that solves the the 99% of this one like the trivially exploitable avenues technically they could like chain different classes within your own java application in order to exploit it. But at that point, we're talking like nation state levels and not the, the script kitty stuff that we see flooding the internet right now because of how easy this is to exploit in general. 
Um, there was a question uh, they commented that they don't have an Apache server. They only use Microsoft Office and an unnamed on-prem app. Do they need to be concerned? And the answer is yes. Even though Apache now maintains this, any web application that has Java might be using it. So you at least need to find out if you're using it. It's not just with Apache servers. And we get this one's going to be tough. It's basically it boils down to contacting all the vendors of the business apps you use to figure out if they're vulnerable or not and or checking that list that will have uh, posted courtesy of Corey too. Um, so another question, I think we've kind of answered this one, but I'll ask it for the sake of it. Do other subscription services in total security detect the attack? And mention that IPS is best positioned for this. Uh, it's going to be pretty difficult for some of the other ones to detect it just by the way that they work. Um, like you might, again, have some chance of catching any secondary payloads, but the exploit itself is going to be IPS. Um, do we need to worry about the JREs, so the Java runtime environment, or JDK, Java development kits, uh, installed on PCs and servers? What about Oracle alternatives like Coretto? Yeah, I was going to say, while well, you heard that JDK version was a factor early on, uh, it, you, you don't need Java installed to, to have the issue. And right now, we already talked about there's that serialization, the other way to exploit this. So, And there there is no new flaw we know about in Jerry or JDK. So it really doesn't matter. What you're looking for mostly is log4j, the version itself. Yeah, basically, it doesn't matter what which version of Java. Like the Java installation itself is not vulnerable. I think of it like your operating system. Like if there's a flaw in, uh, uh, well, I was going to say Microsoft Office, but that's kind of all intertwined with Windows. If there's a flaw in uh, Discord on your computer, uh, it doesn't mean that Microsoft Windows is vulnerable to it. And so in this case, it is the operating system, the Java itself isn't vulnerable. It's the library that runs within it that's vulnerable. So... JDK, JDK versions are important to know, uh, but the real issue is having a Java application running that is using this vulnerable library. Uh, we had a question about CVE 2021-45046, uh, which is that kind of secondary vulnerability that was discovered late Friday after the patch. Um, and if uh, WatchGuard is affected by it, uh, short answer is no. Um, so again, it requires a pretty non-default configuration with a lot of different flags enabled. Uh, things like, again, untrusted lookups, um, disabling the protections that restrict some of this to just local host lookups. It gets a bit technical, but long story short, we have not identified any instances of that non-standard configuration in any of our products. And I believe AuthPoint, I believe we now have 2.16 anyways, which fixes that issue. Yep. Um, and I guess here's kind of the last question. So is it possible to block attacks on HTTP or HTTPS? Corey, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. I mean, again, you've, we've kind of already answered that, but that's what IPS is for. IPS will be detecting this using your HTTP or HTTPS services. So have it turned on. Uh, again, for HTTPS, you do have to set up our, our, our application layer gateway so that we can decrypt, decrypt that and best protect you. But if you set that up, IPS will block you know at least this attack for the signatures we know and mark also mentioned earlier that that the proxy is really powerful we even have regex expressions you can make in in certain things in certain headers and he mentioned looking for you know the the string or dollar sign curly bracket j and di uh 
that's technically possible. I uh, just use IPS if you have it because that will have could have false positives. That's not detecting it in every single <laughs> part of of a HTTP packet. Uh, you should just use IPS with HTTPS and HTTP. So, what are your thoughts on all this, Corey? Like, are we as an industry blowing this one out of proportion? Uh, when it comes to this flaw, I, I don't think so. And I think the big issue with this is it's a uh, we have a lot of these kind of I don't know if you'd call it open source. Is it open source? I think it kind of is. But but it yeah. is. It's maintained by Apache as open source. In fact, the vulnerability has been sitting there waiting to be patched for several weeks. And it was just on Thursday, two Thursdays ago, that someone added a comment to it going, hey, wait a minute. Isn't this a massive security risk? And yeah. <laughs> that's when it kind of got blown out and they're like, oh, wow, that is pretty bad. And th that is something, even as open source users ourselves, these there are some very common packages. Like I, I, I suspect the normal IT guy may never have heard of Log4JS, but there's lots of little packages, function libraries, code libraries that are out there that your developers use, whether they're... And, and vulnerabilities happen sometimes. And when it gets to this industry level where it's something that's as widely used as this one, and you've already covered how trivial it was to exploit, uh, it's a big deal. I, I don't think we have to worry about overstating it because I think the discoverer, the guy that find, found it, totally had the right level of severity. It, it was a big deal. And this is, I think that's a the, the biggest issue, or mit not mitigating, the biggest factor in all this is like, it's way different than a like an application vulnerability where you know if we know that Microsoft Office version 5.52 has this vulnerability well then hey you just update Microsoft Office and you're good this isn't an application it's a library used by millions of different applications out there it's not as simple as knowing okay i just update office and i'm good it's you have to know which of your apps that you're using use Java and which of them use Log4j and which version that is, it makes it significantly more difficult to identify and respond to it quickly. And that's one of the big factors in why this is so serious. I would even I say people outsource their web application development so you may not know. Sometimes Log4j, maybe you grab a web framework that is actually a mix of lots of components. You know the name of the framework you grab, but maybe Log4j is there. As you said, the big problem is unless you're the web app developer who actually did the work, you may not know where this is. And and I think the hardware is particularly, luckily our hardware was not affected, but Java's on hardware and, and this is used on hardware. And you know when you get vendor hardware, it's a black box to you. So you, you really have to go to the vendor and make sure they're doing the due diligence and covering this flaw and letting you know the effect. If uh, any of you out there, heaven forbid, are still using a WatchGuard SSL appliance, in any fashion that one was built on java yeah and if the other vulnerabilities over the last five years or so weren't enough to make you retire that appliance and upgrade to something newer uh this one definitely would be well out of support by the way we don't we don't have this so <laughs> well out of support <laughs> talking like eight years out of support but that's yeah luckily at least for us uh, we, we kind of steer clear of java uh due to many other reasons um but like Corey said, there's going to be a lot of black boxes out there where you have no visibility into it, and it is likely technically vulnerable to this. So, I mean, key takeaways from this are you're going to have to lean on a lot of your security controls to protect against this flaw. Things like intrusion prevention service, any visibility tools you have in monitoring requests going to your applications are going to be key while you go and hunt down through different vendors 
uh, to see what vulnerable versions they might be running and when patches are available. Um, and the good news is the list will give you that Git, GitHub at least will be a shortcut to you know all your vendors at least so you can look them up on this list and it's direct links to the source of their statement. Oh, hopefully you know all your vendors. Oh yeah, that's a good point. But <laughs> hopefully someone <laughs> there can help you figure out who your vendors are. I'm willing to bet though that this is going to be a exploit that comes back to haunt for many yeah, years they, to this... come just because it is so easy to attack. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people won't find it. Uh, not everyone pays as close attention to news, so there could be some very small shops out there that don't have security expertise that haven't been paying too much attention to the news, or, or if they see a headline with Log4j, they don't recognize it, even though something they use has it. So they might miss it. I, th I think you're right. It's, it's probably the vulnerability that will keep on giving for a while for the bad guys. But if you're one of our listeners, we're going to be staying on top of it. Uh, we'll keep putting out any info as it comes. If you do have any questions that we missed, uh, Corey and I are both on Twitter. Uh, I'm XORRO underscore Corey's SecAdept. Shoot it our way, and we'll answer it as quickly as possible. Um, other than that, though, man, stay safe. Stay safe out there. If you're listening <laughs> to this, you're doing your due diligence. You're probably doing the right thing because you're interested enough to find the problem. So good job on that. Yep, and happy holidays to all the developers that had to drop everything <laughs> to get this thing fixed. Hope it wasn't during a vacation. Yeah, like hopefully this podcast. not. Anyways, hope this was useful. Again, let us know if you have any additional questions, and we'll gladly help you out. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you have any questions on today's episode, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you just want to chat, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey's at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag The443Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week, most likely. Man, you say that so smoothly. Has it been like 150 times now? You probably hear it in your sleep. X-O-O-R underscore. And <laughs> 168 times as of now. <laughs> awesome. Bye, guys.